0: Hi everyone, this is Eric Malmstrom, CEO of Safe Traces and welcome to the Safe Traces podcast where we talk about key issues, challenges and uh, themes in the world of safety, traceability and environmental monitoring. Today, we're pleased uh, to host Lisa Kay of NV5. Lisa is the president of Environmental at NV5, a Safe Traces partner where she leads a team of high-performing environmental health and safety consultants with the mission of making businesses and communities cleaner, stronger, and safer. NV5 provides engineering and consulting solutions for the world's largest agencies and companies. Thanks so much for being here today, Lisa.
1: Thanks, Eric, it's a pleasure to join you.
0: Well, to start off, uh, tell us a little bit how you ended up in the world of uh, environmental health and safety and how you've uh, ended up today where you are in NV5. Yeah,
1: you know, it's interesting. I actually got my degree at Texas A&M in environmental sciences and uh, engineering, and I went for a very brief stint into the medical device industry before ending up in in environmental, and um, I've built and led three different environmental companies, um, sold two of those. My most recent, I was president of a c- company called Alta Environmental, which I sold to NV5. And now I'm chief operating officer of environmental at, at health and safety at NV5. And so I've been in the industry a little over 30 years um, and involved with a lot of different clients on a number of, of environmental projects.
0: Well, um, well, fantastic. And so Tell us a little bit more about um, NV5's environmental health and safety practice and specifically uh, what kind of work you've been doing since the pandemic has hit earlier this year.
1: Yeah, you know, it's so interesting that you ask about that. Our COVID response work has been um, just really different. We originally, you know, when the pandemic hit earlier this year, we were going about doing our regular work for our clients, you know, like most other businesses were. And our clients started calling and asking us how, can, um, how we could help them. What could we do in terms of making their spaces safer? And at the time, they were mostly interested in sanitation and cleaning and how to make sure that they cleaned high-touch areas appropriately. Um, I remember the first call, it was probably... March 10th or 12th. So it was really early. Um, and a number of clients, you know, kind of called with the same question. And so as a, as a response to that, we started developing um, specific uh, client-specific cleaning protocols that they could then have abatement contractors follow and properly clean the high-touch spaces. And then we would oversee and, and document that they were being Followed. And so that we call third party validation. And we also, as an adjunct to that, provided training to our clients as well as um, their employees and the documentation of that training. Because if you follow OSHA rules, it's really important when there's a hazard that you document, you've trained your employees around protecting them from that hazard. And um, SARS CoV 2 is such a hazard. And so There is um, specific OSHA requirements around training, documentation, and ensuring that you provide a safe work environment. Um, We also started providing to many of our clients emergency response. Um, There's a couple large national REITs uh, that had some positive cases in various facilities around the country. And as they have uh, either an employee or a resident, Uh, test positive, we have gone in and um, really quickly overseen um, the the cleaning of that facility so that they could then be ready to reopen. We also helped them prepare some of their restaurant areas for reopening, um, and that included documentation and training. We also worked for a really large um, hospital chain network, provided them some training and documentation. Um, as well as some oversight and third-party validation.
0: Excellent. Well, and uh, just going down memory lane briefly. Back in March, uh, we we didn't know a whole lot about the virus and the nature of the risk, and then practically what people should be doing to keep themselves and their spaces safe. And now, from March to. Uh, almost November. We've learned a lot. Uh, We're still learning, but can you talk to us a little bit about how our evolving understanding of SARS-CoV-2, and then also how that uh, makes makes itself into actual guidance and support you're giving to clients, and then also how clients are understanding the risk. And, you know, what what has changed over this time, and where are we now, and where do you think we're going?
1: It's very interesting, because quite a bit has actually changed. And you know, one of the things for our industrial clients, particularly those who are large manufacturers that have a lot of employees, it's really important that they may you know keep up to date on the latest CDC guidance and then follow that. And it's important for them from a liability standpoint, as well as a you know protection of their employees and their stakeholders. And at, at early on, we were tracking the CDC guidance, and it was changing almost weekly. And and at some point, it was going back and forth. I recall, um, you know, it didn't require the wearing of masks early, when even when cleaning. And so many of our clients just went ahead and said, "No, we're going to require that. We're going to require wearing masks. It's a safety issue." But if you recall, you know, getting PPE was very difficult. Um, things were really backed up, even even my firm. And we have quite a bit of PPE just on, on hand for our regular EHS work. Orders were very difficult to get through. And I think that's part of why the CDC guidance continued to change, um, not just from a PPE standpoint, but from other standpoints. Um, what, to, what to clean, when to clean, um, where people should be, you know, the, the six feet apart Um, And then now, as as we continue working with our clients, um, you know, we're talking about how they track employee movement through facilities, um, keeping track of when people have been potentially exposed. Many of our clients actually ask their employees to fill out a questionnaire either online or on paper before they come into the facility. Some of our clients have even gone so far as to um, ask people to really pay attention to uh, their kind of bubble or community and who they're exposing themselves to, and if they've been exposed to somebody who's positive, to report that as well. So it's just really interesting how we've changed from early on. It was all about surfaces, touching surfaces, um, and you know, worry about fomite transfer. And now a lot of um, our clients are starting to become a little more interested in um, aerosol risk and how many people they can have in a building at a time. A lot of our clients, if they're not um, essential businesses where they're manufacturing something or they're uh, a, uh, you know, like a warehousing uh, or a grocery type industry, those clients that don't have to be in the office, many of them have deferred putting people back in spaces and are mostly still working from home, but thinking about when they do get back, what it's going to look like. Um, the hospitality industry is one of our large client bases and they've been hit specifically, you know, very, very hard um, with the virus, with people not traveling, not staying in a hotels, um, The airline industry, we have a bunch of our clients are airports, and airports are really trying to figure out right now, you know, airline travel has started to increase uh, over the past few months, so it's starting to get back, uh, get better, but airports are really looking at what do they need to do and how do they need to um, continue to make sure that they serve the public and um, their tenants in the safest way.
0: So um, you've mentioned a lot of great industries that we're going to dive into in the next few questions, but um interested to know what are, what are key components kind of cutting across industries and clients that form, you know, the core of a lot of the response strategies that you're advising people to the extent that you can generalize?
1: Yeah, I, I think, you know, the first couple of things that really are important is making sure that everyone's aware employee and stakeholder awareness of um, safety and the safety steps that need to be taken Um, we are environmental managers at an airport in california and um, at that particular airport you know there was a period of time when i even myself i recall early going into the grocery store and not thinking about how you have to stay, you know, six feet apart, and you notice people—they started to put lines on the on the floor to keep us apart. Well, that particular airport actually hired somebody to tell people, you know, don't, you know, st- step back—you're getting too close. So we've definitely seen, you know, changes, and we've all uh, reaccustomed ourselves to things. But training—not only the stakeholders, but training employees—documenting that training has been very important. Um, regular and um, vigorous cleaning and uh, sanitation, as well as if a building is closed, it's been really important to think about before you go back and reopen, the unintended consequences of closing down that building. Um, we've seen um, a number of facilities where we've gone in and tested and, and found um, Legionella and, and that's an unintended consequence of closing down a facility uh, that can grow. And so you really need to flush and test um, your facility and, and all your, um, your building systems before you reopen if you've been closed for a period of time. And then, you know, the kind of work we're doing with you, Eric, on, on aerosol is becoming increasingly um, important to our clients. They're very interested now in air and air movement. Um, and understanding, you know, how do they, how do they optimize their systems so that their, um, you know, the the air that we breathe in buildings is as safe as it can be.
0: Great. Well, now I'd like to zoom into one of the industries that you've mentioned, and I'll I'll let you choose. But you've mentioned uh, retail, groceries, uh, hotels, hospitality, air airlines and then the airport infrastructure manufacturing. Interested to just dive into one of those where uh, NV5 has been uh, active and talk about the industry's response and then you giving your assessment of what you think they've been doing that has been effective and where is there room for improvement and how that's evolved over the course of the pandemic.
1: Well, I think from my perspective, yeah, you know, some some businesses have really stepped it up, and and it's not necessarily industry specific. I think industries have a lot to learn from one another um, in terms of what's working well and what's not working well. Uh, it really tends to be more the leadership of that particular industry, um, you know, making sure that they are setting the tone at the top. And they're documenting things and they're driving what needs to be done in terms of a plan. I know um, Cal OSHA has really stepped up enforcement. And so I've seen um, fines be levied anywhere from a few hundred dollars, even for a public agency. Got a fine for not documenting uh, the new SARS-CoV-2 safety requirements and then training their employees on those safety requirements for not including that in their health and safety plan. So, um, you know, that was a couple hundred dollar fine to a municipal um, agency. And then larger, you know, several hundred thousand dollar fine to um, food manufacturers for, again, not documenting the new requirements, not training employees on the new requirements, not providing the right um, PPE to employees, um, and not reporting properly. So those are you know, some of the challenges that companies are facing right now and, and things that they're having to do. Industries that are doing it well are those that are really engaging their employees and asking them to be involved in committees to make sure that they're being safer, and industries that are also engaging their other stakeholders. Um, I've ha- had a lot of inquiries from people who've openly asked, like, why should I spend money on this if we're not going back to the office yet? Um, You know, should I or should I not spend money on that issue, training or um, documenting something new if everybody's working from home? And the answer is, if everybody's working from home, then you you probably don't have to worry about it as much. But um, a number of folks, CEOs from companies have even asked, well, if there's a vaccine, then we probably don't need to spend any money, right? And and that's another whole other answer, which, um, you know, it's highly unlikely that the moment there's a vaccine, it's going to go away. So I think, you know, that's a challenge um, that we all have to kind of grapple with and figure out how do we do the best that we can uh, for our community, um, all of us being part of the community, our employees and our stakeholders. <laughs>
0: So I wanna pick up on this uh, point you just made on the if and when there's a vaccine, then all of this is gonna go away, which is something that we hear quite a bit, or at least a version of that, that that's gonna be the silver bullet. But you increasingly have a chorus of people in public health and in uh, environmental health and safety, and also in building management, who are predicting that this experience is gonna have a long tail, not only uh, given the uncertainty of a, a of the timeline and efficacy of a, a vaccine and, and it being deployed, but even when it's out there, the next virus or the next kind of threat that we have, that there's gonna be some big changes to the way that uh, buildings are, are run in the future. What is your perspective on that?
1: Well, I will say, so, there's a uh, there even before uh, the virus there there was a movement towards well buildings or healthier buildings and and well is actually a, a standard kind of like lead uh, the well building program and and there are and it's an international. Um, designation. So there are buildings all over that are well building. It requires um, air testing and water testing and the building ends up getting certified. It has to be designed with a certain amount of light and health and safety in mind and the wellness of the people that, that work in that building or reside in that building. And so we're seeing a lot more interest in people Um, in companies, particularly large um, real estate owners around the well-building designation and the well-building program. And I would say, um, you know, the one thing the well-building certification does require is ongoing um, testing to ensure that that building is continuing to meet those standards for air and water quality. Um, Obviously, the well-building program doesn't include um, a diagnostic tool like the Safe Draces Veridart tool, yet, yet. I put that in there. Maybe someday it will, um, but it doesn't yet. Um, however, it is an interesting standard that I think is going to be picking up more steam. Pe- people want to be in a building where there's a lot more light, there's a lot more um, good, you know, h- high quality air, you know, not having um, even VOCs and other things in that building. And so I think there'll be a lot um, more interest in more space and better space uh, as we return to work and return to the built environment. And um, we work with a a couple large real estate holding firms that really see that trend. Um, Before, companies were moving towards fitting as many people in a space as possible to kind of limit their uh, overhead costs. And now, I think that trend is going to be going the other way, where you're going to have more space per person, and maybe more flexible space per person, with a, a lot uh, different working environments for the general office. Obviously, manufacturing's a different story.
0: Excellent. Um, so, switching gears a little bit, um, right now, clearly there's there's major occupational health and safety risk in the the world writ large and especially within the built environment but also there's tremendous financial distress uh, across the economy right now in businesses at the household level Um, and just if you're a business right now and you're kind of tugged between keeping the business going amidst the pandemic and uh, whether you need your employees or customers back in an indoor space and wanting to get to that point as quickly as possible but then also the uh, needing to do that in a safe manner and each of those safety decisions often having financial consequences uh, connected to them how do you what has been your experience navigating customers through the kind of occupational health and safety benefit versus the financial cost decision making and how are they thinking about that and how should they be thinking about that?
1: Yeah. So I, I will say, you know, for example, the large healthcare uh, industry that we worked for healthcare um, client that we worked for, they had a number of hospitals all over for them. What was most important was the third party um, verification that they were doing everything right to ensure their stakeholders, confidence, um, confidence to go back and and be able to get routine surgery to know that they were doing everything properly, confidence of their nurses and doctors to know that they were safe. Um, so that was really important to them. And, and it did, from their perspective, translate directly to their bottom line, um, getting people back into the hospital for routine surgery rather than people staying away was important not only for the community which they serve to make sure people are healthy, but also just for their bottom line. Um, I will say, interestingly enough, one of the things we do, our, our MEP business, our mechanical engineers um, have been involved um, doing large-scale uh, retro commissionings, many retro commissionings associated with um, making sure that um, you know your HVAC systems, your air systems are all operating appropriately. And- Um, some of the things they've found as they've gone through hundreds and hundreds of facilities are, you know, systems are behind the scenes. Right. And so if you don't maintain that over time, you you do get even biologics building up on coils and other things. So they found a lot of things that need to be fixed and they've gone through and they fix them for clients. And and it not only is a potential health risk, but also an energy drain. So you can save money on the back end. By reducing your energy costs if you do the, some of these things right. There's no you know, 100% guarantee, but it's um, our clients are really looking at what makes the most sense given where they are right now, um, and that means if they're reopening, how do they make sure they're opening safely and in compliance? Because again, as I mentioned before, there are OSHA requirements around training, around Um, the protocols that you put in place and that's a compliance issue and compliance doesn't go away um, just because we have a virus and then making sure that you're making uh, people understand what changes you're implementing so they know uh, what you're doing. Um, And I will say the, you know, the past few projects that we've gone through and done uh, retro commissioning, we found cost savings on the energy side that the client didn't know they could realize.
0: Great. Um, So we're going to now switch to a kind of global scope and just looking across the world. NV5's business spans uh, the US, Asia, the Middle East, Europe. Uh, Very interested to get your perspective on how the US is comparing against other regions in terms of how they've responded to environmental health and safety risk. Uh, since the pandemic, and what lessons you think the U.S. could be learning from other regions that seem to have a better handle on things?
1: Well, it seemed to me, we have an office in Hong Kong, and I think our Hong Kong, um, you know, Hong Kong friends and, and uh, colleagues had a easier go of it. They locked down fast, um, and then they put a lot of things in place, but they already had many of the measures in place that we've only been starting to put um, into place because they dealt with SARS. Um, And so they already had a a whole uh, system uh, for a lot of things that we are just now, like I mentioned, implementing, including contact contact tracing. I mean, that that was already in, in place and ready to go. Um, I, I was told by uh, my colleagues in Hong Kong that you walk into any building and you're handed hand sanitizer. Everybody's wearing a mask, no matter what. There's no, there's no question about it. Whereas in the United States, um, you know, early on, and if you remember March or April, it was like, do we wear a mask? Should we wear a mask? No one really knows. Knew. so I think they they had more experience and they were they were sort of ready to go. They they did a lot with on the sanitation side. And um, they really, really controlled uh, movement of people uh, a little better than we have. They did open up, however, um, and contract tracing, I think, allowed them to do that better than us. They're still open today, whereas right now we actually see Europe, uh, uh, today as we're taping this, we see Europe uh, in their second wave and locking down again. And um, cases are rising, again, throughout the United States. Um, I do think, um, and this is just anecdotal on my part, but I I do think we've gotten a better handle on how to treat patients with it than we probably did early in the pandemic. Um, That said, I think, um, you know, the contact tracing piece, being able to know where people are going, and in fact, even um, in our offices, um, a lot of my clients that have Um, you know, large manufacturing facilities with hundreds up to a thousand or so employees that move from space to space. They are tracking, you know, where people are moving and who's in the building and who's in that space. So that, you know, when they do have positive cases and they have, they can know who's been exposed and make sure that they don't, um, you know, they let the right people know you've been exposed and then those people can go get a test.
0: So I'm going to put you on the spot uh, a lot of people are asking now when are we gonna return to normal and putting a timeline on that and also something you've addressed earlier what what is even normal in the future? What is your take on that? And just you know from a timeline perspective, I know that you can't be a prognosticator on when there's a vaccine, but ha- for planning purposes as a business, how are you thinking about the impacts of, COVID on the market and your business? Is that a year? Is it now multi-year? Like how, how is NV5 thinking about that? And what do you think is the kind of environment that is going to be uh, consistent with normal in the future?
1: So a couple of things, I think, you know, a lot of things will have to go back to um, business, but, but what that business looks like will be somewhat different. I think people, as, as people who are very social, a lot of um, clients that I talk to really do want to be able to have um, employees back in the office in a limited way sooner rather than later. And so they are, they are talking about how to do that. Um, but will things go back to normal normal? I, I honestly don't think so. Um, especially after the conversation I had that I just shared with you, um, with my colleague in Hong Kong, where you know that is interesting because they already had you know been living in their new normal because of SARS, and then were ready for a little more ready than us for SARS-CoV-2. So I, I would say, if you look at that as an example, we will probably continue to um, live a little differently than we have in the past um, just because of this. I personally, you know, can't wait to be able to, to go back into um, larger groups and, and um, events. Uh, you know, conferences in person would be great, uh, but I realize we're we're just not ready for that yet, right now. Um, and I know that um, eventually we'll we'll get there, but there's a lot of people. If you if you believe what you hear in the news, or just talking to to folks, some people are even if there is a vaccine, they're like, eh, I'm not so sure I'd be the first one taking it. So um, I think it'll be a while. My long answer to your short question.
0: No, that's great. Uh, have you ever seen or experienced anything like what we're going through right now in your career?
1: Uh, that's, a, that's an interesting question. Not in terms of uh, health pandemic, I have not. Um, But, you know, in in my career, there's always something new in the environmental industry. There's always a new trend or a new new issue, even um, from the standpoint of, uh, you know, thinking about contaminated groundwater. I mean, polyfluorinated, you know, PFOS was an issue and still is an issue, and it's affecting a lot of... um, water in the entire world not just our country and so you know you think about drinking water and the quality of that drinking water um, for us as humans it, it is impacted by um manufacturing uh, chemicals and so that those kinds of things pop up throughout my career i've seen them over and over and over and so this one just happens to be a virus so it's a little different, but um, we'll continue to see challenges. And that's what makes um, the work we do so interesting is helping our clients navigate and, and work through and, and solve those challenges. It also makes the kind of work we do very rewarding as well.
0: All right. Well, um, thank you so much. I don't have any more questions. I just want to give you the floor. If you have any parting uh, thoughts or things that you think we should have talked about, feel free.
1: Well, I do think that the kind of work that you're doing at um, Safe Traces with a diagnostic tool will really help um, industry try to figure out how they can most effectively and efficiently um, create spaces that will be safer for their stakeholders, their employees, their clients, and then document that they are um, as safe as they possibly can be. Um, So I think, you know, that's a fantastic tool. And I really am looking forward to seeing it um, deployed in other areas and and, in a bigger way.
0: Well, we share that thought. So uh, thank you so much. Uh, It's been a pleasure having you on. And we're grateful and look forward to uh, working together in the future. And all our very best.
1: Thanks, Eric. Have a great day.
0: Thank you.